0: This morning's reading comes from Acts 26, verses 12 through 23. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. All right, we are continuing in our series uh, entitled "This I Believe," and um, it's been a great series so far. We've welcomed Bruce here into our community, and we've heard from him uh, the first two weeks. and And in week one, Bruce talked about his personal calling, and he talked about and reminded us how God has a call on all of our lives, each and every one of us has a call from God. And then in the second week, uh, last week, um, Bruce shared with us uh, about his belief in the power and the possibility of the local church that we, called of God, come together, we make the body of Christ, and we are the hands and feet of Christ in this world, and we have so much possibility to cast such a great light in this world for him when we serve him and we come together for that purpose. And as we consider all of this and we really seek uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world, I want us this morning just to to stop and, and take a step back, consider what exactly is driving us. What is the motivation that propels us outward? I mean, what is it that causes us to give sacrificially that compels us to speak about and share our faith in Jesus Christ with the world. Now look, the apostle Paul is a wonderful example from scripture of someone who lived his life this way. Um, He was convinced of the truth of Christ. And we've heard a little bit of his own personal testimony this morning from Acts 26, and and we're going to get back to that in just a bit. But first, I want us to begin thinking about what we say we believe, Uh, more specifically the essential truths that our Christian faith is based on. And then I want us to ask ourselves, am I convinced of this? And what does a convinced faith Look like, okay so, so we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed. I think the core beliefs of our faith, faith, they are most succinctly stated in the Apostles' Creed, and it's called the Apostles' Creed, not because they wrote it, uh, but they took the teachings, the church took the che- teachings of the apostles and just began to condense that to say, what are the essential truths? What are the non-negotiables? What is it that we say this is it? This is the foundation. This does not move. And here it is, the Apostles' Creed. Now look, I don't know if any of you grew up saying the Apostles' Creed. We don't say it in this service each week. We do in the sanctuary service. I grew up saying the Apostles' Creed. But when I was younger... The way I would approach it was more like um, a software update where, you know, you just scroll through all the words to get to that little box at the bottom and you check agree and you move on with your life. You know, I was the kid with the bulletin out going check, prelude, check, offering, check. You know, I mean, and I was the pastor's kid and I was doing that. So, so I just sort of like agreed, sure, that sounds great. Not a very life-giving approach to this. So what I want us to do Because I don't want to assume that everybody in this room even knows what is in this. And I hope that's not too small. Can you see it to read it and say it with me together? Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried... Amen. Amen. That is the Apostles' Creed. And look, I want us to think about it this way, as these core truths. And and Daniel, go ahead and click on that next slide. The Creed is like the center of a bullseye. That That is the core. That is what we say, like this is the essential, this is what we're aiming for, this is what matters above everything else. And if we move out to that next circle, that would be our doctrines. And doctrines are simply teachings that that define and describe the essential truths that are found in that creed, okay? So our understanding of scripture and our theology and how we talk about this good news of Jesus Christ and God's work in the world, that comes out in those doctrines. And then out past that, that's where our opinions need to be. Okay, now our opinions are our views and our judgments about something that are not necessarily based in fact or in knowledge, right? It's just our opinion. And so when we look at this, there's an essential direction we want to be going in. The, the essential truths about God our Father, Christ his Son, and the Holy Spirit are going to inform our doctrines which should shape our opinions. We never move from our opinions down. Our opinions... Do not drive and direct us. That's scary. That's a scary direction to be going in. We want our faith to inform everything else. Does that make sense so far? Okay, let me show you one more thing. If we, if we kind of zoom in to creed, okay, go to that next slide for me, and we look at, okay, what is the creed? Look at the very center of the creed itself. What is that statement? The third day he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the core of the core. It is the crux. It is the point that everything else turns on. If that is not true, if Jesus is not risen, everything else falls apart. Because you see, the grace and the love and the will of the Father are perfectly displayed and revealed in the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that the promises in the character of God are true and can be trusted. And then everything else that follows in the rest of that creed um, follows because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting because of the resurrection. Resurrection. I wanted you to see that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the core of our faith. It is the core of our faith. And it is that truth that convinced Paul. The encounter that he had with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus proved to Paul that Jesus was indeed alive. So a convinced faith is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was that truth that that transformed Paul from a man who hunted down anyone who would claim that Jesus was risen into a man who risked his own life to proclaim that Jesus was indeed risen. Look, before this encounter, look, Paul, he was a man who knew the promises of God. He was a Pharisee. He was very intelligent. He was very well studied in the scriptures. He was very serious about his religion. And he knew that a savior, the Messiah, was to come to suffer, to die and rise from the dead. He knew it and he was waiting for it. But he had an opinion about Jesus. And his opinion was that Jesus was a liar, and it was offensive for him to say that he was the Son of God, and it was offensive that anybody else would claim that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. His opinions convinced him to persecute any who claimed that Jesus was alive. Look, he says this, starting in verse 11 of chapter 26 in Acts Indeed, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. With authority received from the chief priests, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being condemned to death. By punishing them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, which means to say Jesus isn't alive. He isn't the Son of God. I tried to force them. To blaspheme. And since I was so furiously enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. Guys, it is a dangerous thing when our opinions are leading and directing our actions. Dangerous, scary thing. Lots of people do some really bad, hurtful things based on their opinion about somebody else or something else that's where Paul was until one day he was on that road headed to Damascus to persecute some more people and the risen Christ appeared to him knocked him to the ground and Jesus himself spoke to Paul he said I choose you I choose you to take the truth of who I am and the good news of what I've accomplished to the world. Not just to your people, Paul. Not just to the Jews. I'm gonna send you to the Gentiles. I'm gonna send you to people who've never really heard any of this so they can be turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. And so they can receive forgiveness of their sins and they can be counted as some of the holy people, people made holy by faith in me. Of all the people to choose, right? Of all the people to choose. But here's what I really want you to see about this encounter that Paul had. It was so much more than just this wild emotional experience. Look, seeing the risen Christ satisfied Paul's intellectual need. Look, what was Paul waiting for? What was he so well studied in as a Pharisee that God had promised to send a Savior to his people, that Moses and all the prophets had promised it, and he believed it. This encounter proved that Jesus was indeed the Savior sent by God for the salvation of the world. It proved that it was Jesus who was the Messiah. It moved Paul from functioning out of a place of his opinion to a place of convinced faith that Jesus is the risen Messiah. It was intellectual proof for him, all wrapped up in this powerful personal experience. Paul's spirit touched by God's spirit. And no one, no one would unconvince him of that. So here's another good point to bring out here. Reason and personal experience are not opposing forces. In fact, they truly complement and support one another, and they work together to keep our faith strong and, and grounded in the truth. Um, Okay, so we're Methodists, right? Many of you have heard of John Wesley, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, that revival of faith and the people called Methodists. Um, did you know that for years, John Wesley struggled with his faith? He struggled. He was not sure that the forgiveness that Christ offered was for him. He was not sure about it. He worried about it. He was so anxious about whether it was for him. Look, he, he was he was a man with so much intellect. His father was an Anglican priest. His mother taught every single one, 17 children, every single one of those kids, God love her. Uh, the, the scriptures, I can't even imagine. Um, wow, that's a lot of commentary. Uh, it's taught ta- all of them. The scriptures, from the moment they could understand the words coming out of her mouth. I mean, he knew a lot, but there was so much anxiety about his own personal salvation. Until one night, he attended the society meeting um, on a street called Aldersgate. And someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to Romans. Now, that sounds like something an intellect would like to go to, doesn't it? Um, Listen to his own journal entries about this, okay? He says, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation, And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. There's a lot of feeling words in there, a lot of experiential words. Listen to what he says next. He says, I began to pray with all my might for those who had in a more special manner despitefully used me and persecuted me. He started praying for people who'd hurt him. And then I testified openly to all there what I now first felt in my heart, intellect affirmed by personal experience. Listen to what he writes the next day. The moment I awakened in the morning, Jesus, Master, was on my heart and in my mouth, and I found all my strength lay in keeping my eyes fixed upon him and my soul waiting on him continually. Being again at St. Paul's in the afternoon, I could taste the good word of God in the anthem, which began, my song shall always be of the loving kindness of the Lord with my mouth while I ever be showing forth thy truth from one generation to another. Listen to what he says next. Yet the enemy injected a fear. If you really believe, why is there not a more sensible change in you? Why is there not something more dramatic going on here? And I answered, he says, yet not I. That I know not, but this I know. I have now peace with God. And I sin not today, and Jesus, my master, has forbidden me to take thought about tomorrow. Isn't that good? His experience was very different from the Apostle Paul's. There was no blinding light. He was not knocked to the ground. He didn't have scales on his eyes for days. It was quiet. It was inward, but it was convincing. Convincing. God's Spirit touching John Wesley's spirit. And listen, it transformed his life and his ministry. We would not be the people called Methodists today. If this had not happened, his reason and his personal experience coming together. John Wesley's intellect is what enabled him to study and understand Scripture and to order the people called Methodists in a way that enabled them to be a powerful force in England and then in America. But it was his personal experience of God's Holy Spirit touching him and giving him the strength to defeat fear and doubt and temptation that came his way. He was convinced that Jesus had died for him and that even his sins were taken away. No one would convince him otherwise. Last two points. A convinced faith is rooted in the promises and the character of God, okay? Abraham is going to be our example for this. Um, You can find Abraham's story in Genesis. Um, Bruce has already kind of started that on week one. Abraham called by God, leave your homeland, go to a place I'll show you. Like, didn't even say, here are the GPS coordinates, you know, I got a house ready. I mean, like none of that. Just go, and Abraham went, He went. And then God promised Abraham that he would have many descendants and they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But this was crazy because Abraham was old and his wife was old. But sure enough, along came a son and they named him Isaac. And then one day, Genesis 22, look it up and read this whole thing. God told Abraham to take Isaac, that promised son, to the land of Moriah and take him up on a mountain that he would show him and I want you to offer him there Abraham as a sacrifice to me listen to what Hebrews 11 17 through 19 says about Abraham because he headed up that mountain with his son by faith Abraham when put to the test offered up Isaac he who, had been, he who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac, that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact, in other words, Abraham reasoned, that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. Abraham reasoned from a place of, of trust in God's promises, like I know what you promised. He reasoned from a place of trust in God's character. You've always been good. You've always been faithful. He didn't function strictly in his own reason because that would have led him into disobedience and lacking in faith. His personal experiences with God informed his reason. And he reasoned that if God had made a promise to him that he would have many descendants. And that promise was dependent upon Isaac being alive then God would just raise him from the dead. That is a convinced faith. And I'm going to tell you, I think it's really cool that it was the hope of a resurrection that propelled Abraham forward. Do you see that? I believe in a resurrection. That is what propelled him forward. So Abraham... Moving forward with the sacrifice, and God says, do not harm him. Do not lay a hand on him. I know that you have faith in me because you have not withheld your only son from me. That's why Abraham is the father of our faith. That brings me to our last point. A convinced faith takes action. We see that in Abraham's example. We see that in the life of Paul. Listen to what Paul says. Here he is. He's in prison. He's, his acute, the, what he's accused of? Believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's been in Rome. He's been in prison. Here he is standing before a king, making his defense. He's all shackled up in chains. So he continues. He says, after that, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so I was not disobedient. I got that call. He satisfied my intellect. He satisfied my soul. And he called me and I went and I act on this faith because I'm convinced that nothing else, nothing else is true. A convinced faith says I will not be disobedient. A convinced faith says I can walk straight into uncertainty with you because I know and I trust your character. That you love me and you will carry me through. A convinced faith is led by both reason and personal experience. And it says, I will seek your word and I will ask for understanding, but I also know this is how your spirit touched my spirit. This is my heart's strangely warm story. This is how I know. A convinced faith is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection proves that God has never failed, that all his promises are true, and that his character can be trusted. May we be convinced of that today. May we, the church, act from a place of convinced faith, letting our faith form everything else and propel us outward to shape our opinions to shape our thoughts never may we go from opinion into action may we never do that and may we never take the truth and love and grace of Jesus Christ for granted when you have the opportunity to say the Apostles Creed say it say it enter into it don't just check a box Let's mean it. Let's be convinced. And then no one, nothing, will be able to stand in our way as we move forward with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good and and faithful and true and everything you've ever said about yourself is true. Every single thing. Lord, we believe We believe that. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life. Thank you. Thank you, God, for raising him from the dead. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present with us today, empowering us and giving us that assurance of faith. May you strengthen us. May you make us confident. May you help us understand that you welcome our doubts and our questions. May we take it all to you, and may you convince us, Lord, in our intellect and in the deepest part of our souls, that you are true and faithful and you are loving, and that our sins, even ours, are forgiven in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.